Welcome to Wayward Muse Podcast. It's your host, Stephen. To find more of our industry-driven content, go to yourwaywardmuse.com. Before you keep listening, I'd highly recommend tuning into part one to get to know Chef Chris Shepard, if you haven't already. In part two, we deal with the building blocks of a great restaurant and everything you need to know about Southern Smoke. Let's dive in. I uh, wanted to speak to some of my colleagues who, you know, are more connected with the kitchen side. And uh, I work with a gentleman named Chef Rishi, and he wanted to ask you one question. And if I may, what is necessary to take a successful restaurant and turn it into an institution? You know, I, I think about that all the time because, you know, um, I have a problem with changing things. Uh, <laughs> And, and wanting to keep getting better. And I don't know if that's necessarily a problem. There's two ways to look at that, right? There's always evolving to see, suit your guests in a better way. But there is the, as I get older, I think to myself, do I need to push the boundaries on everything? Or, you know, with Underbelly, that restaurant was built on inconsistently or consistently being inconsistent because we only did a whole animal and we would break down a cow every week and three pigs every week and goats and lamb and sheep and birds and whatever else, you know, and then fish, whatever came out of our waters, produce, whatever came out of our grounds. And, you know, sometimes you'd run a menu that had 20 things. And by the end of the night, you know, when that nine o'clock table sits down, there's only like 15 things because we've gone through all of like, you know, like, well, why don't you have it? Like, well, cause that animal only has so many parts of it. Right? Mm-hmm. You here, you only get like 24 ribeyes. And when those ribeyes are gone, you got, that's it. Um, so it was, you know, but I think that that gets people to, it gets to some people like, oh, it's always different. I want to go see. But we all are inherently loving the things that make us comfortable, right? That's why you got, like, all of us have that one place or two places or three places that we always go and we always get the same thing. Um, and maybe you get something different every once in a while, but then you always end up going back. I know, but you know what, I'm going to go back and get chicken parm at my favorite, you know, the, there's a chain called Carabas, but we have the original that's not part of the chain right down the street. And man, you know what? I look at Johnny Caraba and his family and I'm like, that is the most successful that you can be. It is busy every day and it has been for 34 years. Yeah. And what is it? Like, what is it? It's, Man, a smile when you walk in, it's comforting when you're there. You want that? Sure, I'll get it for you, no problem. You want to do that? Yeah, no problem. You know, and it's being over, overly accommodating to a lot of things. It goes back to hospitality. You know, am I going to get spaghetti and meatballs? Yeah. Is it going to be delicious? Yeah. It's going to be the same thing as always? Yeah. I think when you start to look at things like that and you look at the, you know, the Hillstone group, the Houstons and that whole thing, like that's, it's consistency every time service is driven and it just makes you feel comfortable. So those, you know, those are the things like you you can get longevity out of that. But I think if you're going to do something, just stick to what you're doing and be who you are, have great service, have great food and and people will love it. Well, thank you very much for that. I think that that'll speak to a lot of people who are maybe in the process of, you know, rebuilding their restaurant or, you know, trying to get back to basics. I wanted to move on to our final topic, and that would be Southern Smoke. For those who aren't familiar, could you discuss? So in 2015, we were doing some fundraising efforts to put 
kids through culinary school, right, to pay for their school because it's so expensive. And when you get out, you know, you have massive loans and, you know, you don't make a whole lot of money. Um, so we wanted, I really wanted to start off by just paying for people to go to school. And then, you know, I had a friend come in and do the wine service for me. And, and he came in after we did the series and put, you know, someone through school. And, and he said, Kim, are you going to do that series again? I was like, you know, because our goal was like, let's, let's, put, let's pay for somebody's college tuition every year, right? Let's just do these dinners and we'll raise $45,000 and we'll pay for somebody's school. <clears throat> and he came back and was like, hey, man, can we do a dinner outside of that? I was like, yeah, what do you want to do? And he was like, I want to do a dinner to benefit MS. I didn't know why. And I said, why? So well, I was diagnosed with MS this week. And that was kind of his way of telling me. Um, yeah. So I, I told him, you know, no, we don't want to do a dinner where it's just going to raise five or $10,000 right there. We need to do something that's way more significant. We were going to do this thing out in the back parking lot where it was like maybe a hundred people. And I was like, you know what, I'll call Aaron Franklin and, and Sean Brock and Rodney Scott. And we'll, you know, kind of like do this Texas barbecue and Texas cuisine and South Carolina barbecue and South Carolina cuisine. And, um, uh, then I started working with the city of Houston and they gave me their stage and they gave me, you know, they, they blocked off all the streets around us and helped us with infrastructure. And it was just like, wait, what? Okay. So wow. we went from a dinner for a hundred and I called the guys. Hey man, how about we do this thing for maybe like a thousand people? Woo. And everybody's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And so I got some local chefs to come on board and we did this thing and Southern smoke started. And I said, you know what, we're going to raise a hundred thousand dollars for MS. And, uh, Everybody was like, don't do don't say that. And we ended up writing a check to the MS Foundation for 181000 that first year. And then year two, more chefs from around the country. And we raised, you know, we donated or, or cut a check for 284000 that next year. Year three, we're about two months out. And um, Har- Hurricane Harvey came through Houston um, and really put a, a serious dent into our economy and our way of life. And it was just bad. You know, it was... Uh, would they say five times more powerful, worse than Katrina, um, but on a larger scale. So it was like the tale of two cities, really, because some of the city was completely destroyed and some of it was not even touched, you know. And so it was really weird, but um, it was a weird feeling. But the city was just really decimated. And I had people calling me and asking me how they can get money in the hands of people in our industry. And I said, well, it's not it's not possible. Um, there's the Red Cross and there's the Mayor's Fund and there's J.J. Watt's Fund, and but that's all going to be for something else. But to take, I finally looked at our, our crew and I was like, we have to change it. We have to do something that affects our, our industry. And so uh, we formulated a way that through our foundation, we could take in applications and then they would go through a verifying committee and then an awards committee. Um, and we could help people in our hospitality industry in a, in a time of need. And we were able, we took in, Took in 200 applications, right around 200, uh, but we were able to, after verifications and awards, we granted um, 139 families half a million dollars. Um, wow. And so that kind of, after that, I knew that we needed to keep going with this and make sure that people in our industry, you know, because again, it goes back to the being a cook and going to school and, you know, or being a waiter and like, oh, you have a bad week, man, <laughs> you know, or a bad mm-hmm. month or you twist your ankle or something that you're out like how do you pay your bills like how do you put food on the table for your kids like how do you pay for medicine like how do you you know all of these things you know you go down a, a dark hole and it, gets, it, it can be bad and so um we continued with that and so when when covid came up 
I go back to that 200 applications because we're well over 34,000 applications at this point. We have been able to grant out, you know, we've massive fundraising efforts and people just being very charitable. Uh, we've been able to grant out, I think it's uh, 20, right, right at 2,400 families for 4.5 million since March. Um, and the really beautiful thing is that it started to spark more interest. Like David Chang was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and he, he you know, won that and his charity of choice was Southern Smoke. So a million dollars went there. And then in uh, June, we were able to work with Mental Health America and the University of Houston and provide free mental health care for anybody in the hospitality industry in the state of Texas and their children. Um, and then in July, August, um, I got a phone call and I put it through to our executive director and we had somebody that um, anonymously wrote us a check for $4 million for the city of Chicago and Cook County uh, mm -hmm. to start a self there to help out people in the uh, food uh, bar or restaurant bar and coffee shops. Um, and with the notion that if uh, enough fundraising could gather another million that they would match that million. So it would be end up being a total of a $6 million fund for just the city of Chicago. And so now we have a Southern Smoke Chicago as well. And the goal is that hopefully we can, you know, I would like to see that for Southern Smoke New York or Southern Smoke Miami or Southern Smoke Memphis or Dallas or what, I don't really care, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to fund together for a city, we'll do it, you know, because so, we are a national fund at this point, um, but I'd like to have a significant amount for a certain city, which is really nice. There's a, a lot to dive into with just the amount that Southern Smoke has been able to accomplish. Uh, what it's doing and the, and the way in which that they've done it. I wanted to touch first off on the, the mental health of the industry. Um, I see this pandemic as a chance for the industry to rebuild better. Uh, what changes do you think could be made to help the restaurant industry with our mental health struggles? I think we have to acknowledge that first. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing is acknowledging that there's a problem and dealing with it on the second aspect. And I think affordable mental health care is, is very vital. I look forward to the day when I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to be able to do this with every state. You know, it's state certified. Mm -hmm. So I can't do it outside. I think, you know, the Louisiana State University or LSU is looking at doing this with us as well. Um, we went on an immediate wait. So it's like getting other universities to kind of help out as well. But I think acknowledging it, understanding it, and dealing with it and doing something about it is probably uh, the greatest thing that we can do. Because uh, as an industry, we are, you know, before pandemic, for sure, um, it wasn't the greatest situation either because it was, you would work and get off at, at you know, depending on what you did, midnight, one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, because you're working when people are out and then what? you're jazzed up, your mind's going, like you're by yourself. Like that's it's not a good place to be. There wasn't anything healthy to do at two o'clock in the morning, you know, or one o'clock, like go mm -hmm. to the and what, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a spiral. That's not a great one. Um, and so just understanding that like, we need to be able to take care of ourselves and look at life a little bit differently and maybe have some activities that are late night, like that you can wind down from. I think now you're in a pandemic, like, there's a lot of sitting around and just you're in that same place. It's the same thing as like getting done with service and then going home and being by yourself. Like you're doing that now, but you're not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Try to figure it all out. And that's, that's, it's a hard thing to look at. So 
<clears throat> you know, understanding that there's people that you can talk to. And even if it's a friend or family member, like have that conversation, just talk. I couldn't agree more. I think it's definitely a, a big thing that if we can address it and accept that it exists, we can move forward as an industry to be a little bit more professional and welcoming and create some more sustainability for the people who cook our food and bring it out to us. You know what? Understand that like when you go out, I think that as a consumer, you can understand that like, hey man, restaurant people are just doing their jobs and like loving what they do. And like, again, like two things, right? As a restaurant or as a chef or manager, or whatever, you don't gotta be, you know, I don't know how this is gonna sound up, but you don't have to be a dick. <laughs> you don't have to be rude. Like I, I wasn't the best growing up. I had, you know, I, but I learned like, when you talk to people, do it with respect and understanding. And like, if you're teaching something, you don't have to be rude to do it. Like you can say something, but once it's said, like you're done, right? But for the person that it's said to, they listen and they think about it for hours and hours and hours. And like, that's the same with like a guest in a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. Amen for a bowl of soup. You don't have to be an ass. Yeah. Right. You don't be part of the problem. Be the solution. As, 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 a, as a world, I say it all the time, we're on a big ball going the same direction. Be nice. It's not that hard. I couldn't agree more. And there are definitely some restaurants or, you know, people who have gained a reputation for that, that style of almost berating. And I don't think that that is good for the longevity of restaurants. I think that that creates uh, and de-incentivizes de people from wanting to participate and grow in the industry. I had a habit of me growing up. You know what? I learned from it and I learned that I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that way. And I think it's important to recognize, you know, if that is a habit that you've developed that you can definitely break it. It's like anything else that you sure that might be how you have handled the situation in the past. But if you make that adjustment, you can make your environment that you work in so much more uh, hospitable and you know equitable towards everyone yeah i mean it's, it's it's hard but you can do it it's not it's what's right you know especially yeah. in a time like this when everybody needs everybody needs a damn hug yeah right? don't be a dick be be a nice person teach with respect and love you'll be fine i wanted to go back and touch on southern smoke and how they allocate their funds would you be able to break down the process? And I know that for Chicago, the fund right now is for emergencies. If we could define that for my audience so that they could have a better understanding of the process of applying for a grant. I mean, that's that's up to the caseworker specifically, but traditionally it goes emergency first as far as like medical and uh, mental and like, but medical is a big thing, you know, if you life or death, and then we go into bills and keeping people in, in, in their homes, right? If you don't, if you can't feed your kids, we need to have that conversation, right? If you can't pay your electric bill, we need to have that conversation, right? But it, it, it you know, it's a, it's a lengthy process. It's not easy, but mm -hmm. nothing easy. Like, but we have to, because we are dealing with people's money and we have to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Um, so, you know, once it's, if you are in an emergency, cause this is an emergency relief fund, it's pretty easy, you know, if, but if you're like working and, you know, it's like, oh, I just didn't make as much money as I did last year. Well, that's not this fund, right? That's not, I'm sorry. Like I need to make sure that, that, uh, if a bartender or if a cook falls and cracks his skull or his or her skull, that we can help take care of that, that that's, that's where the need is. Um, and that, you know, we just, 
that happened in Chicago just last uh, last week, where mm-hmm. uh, somebody was found in their apartment and needed medical attention drastically. And it was we've done the same thing here in Houston. For Houston, let's just put it this way: uh, like so, after Southern Smoke year four, um, we had an individual that was on him. Was uh, he had his basically his head his skull crushed in a motorcycle accident. Oh no. Uh, was on his fourth brain surgery. They had just got it to the swelling point down and had put his skull back into place. Mm-hmm. And insurance said, you're done. We, we, you're maxed out, go figure it out. And told his mom, basically, uh, well, she's like, what am I supposed to do? And she, they told her, um, well, you can put your son into a hospice and watch him pass or, um, you can put him in a rehab facility that's super expensive and it's cash up front and you have uh, 24 hours to do this. And um, she couldn't sell her house. She couldn't sell her business. So what's your option? You like go and watch your son slowly pass away. Um, and so uh, it just happened to be that it was right after the festival um, where we did our massive fundraising efforts for the year. Uh, and there was a, a volunteer on the floor that um, had was basically reading the newspaper and saw it and passed it on to uh, the nurses. And then, you know, it just all really aligned because it was a massive emergency. Um, And so we were able to take a check up there for $98,000 to put him in this facility. So his mom didn't have to watch him die. And five, four years later, Danny um, still has a long way to go, but uh, he is up and walking. Um, he is alive. And um, that's, that's when we say emergency, not always that extreme, but uh, that's what we want to be there for. So when I say, you know what, it's one of these things like, well, I know you didn't make as much money. I know that sounds harsh. I wish we could. We have to be able to um, make sure that there's the funds for at any time we can make sure that we're taking care of people. So, cause traditionally like uh, our, our general fundraising effort and, and uh, uh, if we were to put a number on it, generally it's like a $2,000 per person type thing. And it gets you in when you're in a real hard spot, we're there for you. And that's kind of what it's set up for. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand. I was about to ask you, um, what would you say to people who are con- who are thinking, oh, there's $3 million that hasn't been distributed in my area and I applied, why am I not getting money? I think that you've already answered that question with explaining the purpose of an emergency fund. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, one individual was just, we I think we granted $40,000 to make sure that he could stay alive last week. So, and that's what it's there for. Like, that's why we're trying to, it, it may seem like, you know, at times it's hard and you may not get up, you know, and I don't, you may get denied, but, you know, if, if it's like an emergency, you know, and it's, it's there, like you're, it's going to work. We're going to be there for you. And like I said, it's just, you know, <clears throat> I get denied for things too, but it sucks. But like, um, it's, it's, uh, I just need to make sure that I said it so a long time ago with our foundation. And like, I don't really have anything to do with it at this point. I'm just more of the fundraising effort, but it's, it's, uh, I wanted to make sure that when people, when it came push come to shove, we're, not the easiest to happen, but it got there to you when you needed it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Because at the very beginning of this, when money was coming in, we were like, here you go. And then it was like, no, 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 no. well, you know what? We can't help restaurants anymore. We can't do this. We can't do this. We have to mm-hmm. type that, right? Because 
when it first when we first hit this pandemic, it was okay. Well, you know, I remember when they told me I had to close my restaurant for two weeks, and we were just going to be in quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. And now look where we're at. So I need to make sure, and as an organization, that we make sure that we're there for the long haul and that we can help out people that are really like in a bad place. And I think that's an important perspective to have. It's There are a lot of extreme circumstances that people can find themselves in. And to have a an actual source that we'll always be able to provide, is it's a godsend to a lot of people. I mean, if that, and that's the case, like this one the other day, like it, we had a turnaround in... I think it was less than 36 hours. Yeah. But, you know, I would hate for something like that to happen and, and then be like, well, we don't have the funds. You know? So, yeah. If um, it does me no good to have money sitting in a bank, I need to make sure it's getting to people, but I need to make sure that it's getting to the right places at the right times, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And that's you know what? when someone gives you that kind of money, they expect that to happen. Somebody gave it to me to give to somebody else and they want me to follow a certain set of guidelines for it to happen, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. If someone uh, were experiencing an emergency, uh, where would they be able to find uh, your relief fund? It's southernsmoke.org, and it's it's all there. There's the Chicago, and there's the National Fund, so everything's on that website. Like I said, it got flooded with 34,000 applications pretty quickly. <laughs> so I mean, we went from a staff of uh, two to a staff of 40 real quick because um, mm-hmm on uh, furloughed, furloughed employees and, and, and uh, furloughed uh, or, or people in the industry that lost their jobs or just people that, you know, but it's a, it's a taxing thing. And so when we did this, now we're down to, we're at uh, 10 full-time employees and um, uh, I would say probably 20, 30 contract workers. That seems like a, a pretty tight ship for such a large organization with so much reach. I always said that we needed to be right about because, um, you know, on, on a national average of foundations, uh, it's like 48 to 55 percent of every dollar raised goes back to the like an individual, if you would. Um, mm-hmm. But I keep it right about 90, which is an exemplary number. Yeah, I don't like I've never made a penny off this. And I, don't, I don't ever want it. Like, all I want to do is put money into it. Like, that's the key. Like, we try and keep it so tight. And, and because I don't, I, I want to make sure we're doing the right things for the right ways and for people to, uh, when they look at the foundation, when they say, hey, I want to give uh, some money, how is it deemed and how do you do it? Well, we're doing it the right way, you know, and what I see, we're not, you know, just spending willy nilly. We're, we're making sure that like salaries are tight and, you know, we're covering things and we're not going above us or below a certain threshold because I want to make sure that we're getting the biggest return for uh, donors on their dollar, right? That's how you run a good foundation. That's how you run a foundation that's set for a long time is that you are a little bit tough, but you're also tight with their money. Well, thank you very much, Chef. Is there anything else you might want to tell our listeners? Just remember the big ball theory, right? We're all on it. Spin in the same direction. Be nice to people. Take care of yourself. Understand that we'll get through this together. Thanks for listening, y'all. If you enjoyed, make sure to subscribe and share so no one misses out on these episodes. And as always, 20% of anything we make goes to charities that support our industry, like Southern Smoke. We're cutting a check at the end of the month, so head on over to yourwaywardmuse.com. Cheers.